Hey, what's up with it, man? It's your boy Street, aka Sean Got It. And we back, man, with another episode of What the Streets Been Waiting for, Living Incarcerated Edition, man. Uh, right now, man, we're about to call Christy MJ from Spartanburg, South Carolina. We're about to get on the line right now. Hello? Hello. Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? Dad, I dropped the phone. Hello? Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you now. I had dropped my phone. Oh, okay, okay. Good. So, all right, y'all, this is Christy MJ from Spartanburg, South Carolina. How you doing, Chris? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. So, before we get into the interview, let me ask you something. Tell us a little bit about Spartanburg, South Carolina, because I never heard of it before. Um, Spartanburg is, um, not too far from the mountains, you know, we're called the foothills, like probably 20 minutes away from here, you have the North Carolina border, um, which is where I'm originally from. I'm originally from a small town called Tyon, North Carolina, but, um, it's basically a retirement area, basically, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of older people here, a lot of retirees, um, that like to come to retire, be able to see the mountains and stuff. And the horses, like we're um, also the horses. Okay, okay. A lot of horse races and stuff. Okay, okay. You 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 participate in the horse races? Um, you know what? When I was younger, I did. I used to go to the steeplechase all the time. I never participated, but I used to go to them. But I used to ride horses. Oh, okay, okay. That's what's up. Well, you know, like I tell everybody, you know, when they call in to what the street's been waiting for, the main thing that we're trying to do is enlighten. You know, families, friends, and loved ones on basically prison life, prison culture, the mind of a, a person that's incarcerated, what they go through on a regular basis, dealing with the officers, the inmates, the changing environment on the inside, and what it does to a person, you know, uh, when they don't have support, you know, or if they don't have uh, any education or anything like that. So uh, just give a let the people know. Where you were incarcerated at, first off? Um, I was incarcerated here in South Carolina. I did R&E at Camille Graham in Columbia, and then um, I was in receiving for 45 days. I was one of the lucky ones. Okay. After 45 days, I got sent to um, Lee, which is in Greenwood, and I was there for about five months. And then I was taken back to Camille Graham for the ATU program. Okay, okay, okay. And um, did you make parole? Did you discharge? Um, I made parole. I made parole on um, February 10th. Um, I didn't get out until about March 19th. And my max out date is June, June 10th. Okay. Did, the, uh, did they pay y'all up there? Did they pay us? Yeah. Like, do they pay y'all to work? No. Oh, okay. You, somebody gets paid to work? I mean, you know, like the feds, they get paid to work. Oh wow, no! Like if you got if you got on the um, you know, if you got approved, you know, you could go like to McDonald's or somewhere like that to work, and you know, they take a certain a percentage for your room and housing, and then you get to keep the rest. But because of Corona and stuff, you know, it's been shut down for about a year. Did you say you get to go to McDonald's? Yeah, like they can work at McDonald's. I know they have like a little contract with McDonald's and like with Hardee's. 
where um like you can go out and you can what? Yeah. From the prison? I forget exactly what it's called, but from, yeah. From huh? the jail. You said what? Uh, from the jail? Yeah, it was in prison. What? Alexa Popcorn. Yeah, they have like um a program like and like where I was housed on ATU, on the other side of the building was the where they were at. And like, yeah, they get taken out every day to go to work. They get to go to work like at these places. But you have to be like, you have to be like, um, a trustee. You have to be cleared. Yeah, like a trustee. Huh? You have to be like yeah, a trustee. Basically. You have to yeah. be cleared. Like, no disciplinary. You know what I'm saying? You got to be a certain level, all, all of that. Wow. Hey, I know y'all jealous out here in Texas because we don't, they don't do, they don't even believe in that. Like, leaving the unit, going to work at a McDonald's or something, that is not happening. For real. Yeah, I don't think I would want to be. I wouldn't want to be um in Texas. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I'm Y'all sure got one in the bad prison. When I was reading up on prison, I read about Texas. Yeah, it's bad. Like we don't get paid to work neither. We don't even get to go out like that. But um, you know, thankfully, you know, I was um, I was actually able to be able to go and do certain stuff outside the gate. <laughs> Not I couldn't not leave the prison, but outside the gate, like the uh, warden's um, garden and stuff like that. But nothing, nothing too far away from the unit. But they did have special inmates that actually went out away from the unit into town and everything, and that would do park and recreation. But they wouldn't allow okay. them to work it, huh? I said okay, kind of like because I was on litter crew. Yeah. I'm like being on litter crew. You know what I'm saying? We were taken out. Yeah, something like that, but they would never let us work. Never let us work at a McDonald's or nothing like that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Now I don't know how good that goes for the men. You know what I'm saying? But I know the women. You know, saying they could do that, but you know, it's only a few. You know, saying, only a few of them. Okay. So when you went to uh, when you got locked up, did you have kids or anything like that? Did I have what? Did you have any kids? Yeah, I got five kids. Okay, so how how did you think this affected them when you got locked up? Oh, it, it definitely affected them. Actually, they're sitting. They, I'm looking at them right now. They're in here playing the video game. Yeah. <laughs> he asked me. He said, "Me going to prison? How did it affect y'all? What? Me going to prison? How did it affect you? Yeah, they can a speak. Lot. They can it speak a lot. How? Uh, because I didn't have to talk to you. Who is it? It's an interview that I'm doing <laughs> with who? With this a uh, guy that does a podcast. Yes. So tell him about the, how you felt. It's called "What the Street's Been Waiting I For." Down because I couldn't see you every day like I usually do. I've been getting tucked in every night with you. So and like I just felt really down, and you and you didn't teach me anything. What you mean I didn't teach you anything? No, like. Like when you when we lived here, like uh, you taught me, you taught me stuff. Oh, and when yeah. I wasn't here to teach you and tell you stuff when I was locked up. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't see. You, so. I wish, I wish I went to go see you. Like, like, did they have like virtual stuff? They do now, but they it just started when I got out. I'd say it's best to hear from the kid, huh? Yeah, like that's one thing that most of us really wanted to hear, you know, from the from keep it well rounded. We get to hear from everybody, the kids, the moms, yeah. you know what? Because 
then people get a full perspective of what it's like being locked up and incarcerated because it affects everybody. It's not just one person, but everybody's doing their time with you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah, so- and you see, and I had to learn. I had to learn that because you know when I got in trouble, I didn't have a record. The only thing on my record was a speeding ticket. You know what I'm saying? So when I went, even when I went to court and when I went in front of the judge and they were on my charge, he was still getting a little crazy. Like you know what I'm saying? Like what happened? Like how does somebody like this end up get catching trafficking charges and stuff? Because like I mean, my first trouble time ever get my first time ever getting trouble was trafficking. You know, I, I didn't start off little. I, I started off big. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I know. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's kind of it gets crazy like that though. And um, like when you like what your kid just did, it's gonna affect another parent. They're gonna be able to know. Okay, wow, I didn't know this affected them like that. You know, being able to be gone and then their kids are being affected by it and what the kids are going through and mentally. And, you know, a lot of people suffer from depression from being locked up and not being able to hear from their kids. Like, you didn't get visits from your kids? Yeah. No, because, you know, I was, I just got out. I just got out last month. So, you know, the COVID messed everything up. But the way that I am, like, even if I was able to get visits from my kids, like, I was gone for, I basically was gone for 13 months. So in the 13 months that I was gone, I probably would have only wanted to visit them twice. Wow. Just because it, it makes it was easier. It's easier for me, you know what I'm saying, if I don't talk to them every day, if I don't have to see them, because you know, I have to do time in there. Right. I can't do time in there and out here. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm already, you know, when you're in locked up, you're already in conflict with yourself because you're spending so much time with yourself and your own thoughts, you know. You're already you already in deep thought and you're already thinking too much. So with me talking to them every day and stuff, you know, it, it kind of made me depressed because when I talked to them, I know they were going to be sad when I hung up the phone. You know what I'm saying? I know that I was going to be sad when I hung up the phone. That makes my time go by slower. You know what I'm saying? So it, I, I just didn't like it. Like with them, my youngest ones, my three youngest ones were with my mom. And um, let's see, my baby girl, she'll be 15 in like two weeks. And then my twins, they're 11. They'll be 12 and up. So, you know, they were, they were like 10, 11. 13 and 14 when I left. So, you know, I I knew it was going to affect them. So I only called, I called them maybe every Sunday. Right. But like my oldest son, my 19, he was 19 at the time, but he's 20 now. But my oldest son, you know what I'm saying? I probably called him twice a week. You know what I'm saying? Just because he's he's a black boy, you know what I'm saying? He he raps and stuff. Just, I, I need to make sure I check on him at least twice a week. So I know with me not being at home and stuff, you know what I'm saying? I know that he's even more high risk to become another statistic. Right. So when you were locked up and you were in there, did you have any problems with like any gangs or anything like that? Um, not at all. Not not at all. Like when I when I got locked up, I had already told myself. One of the reasons why I got myself in trouble was because I needed to surround myself around people at that time. You know, I had just went through three murders. My daughter's boyfriend had got murdered that November. My stepson got murdered in December. And then my best friend that lived across the street, he got murdered by one of my kids' friends. So, you know, I, 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 I was so scared and I was going through so much at that time. And that was before I even started counseling that, you know, I just wanted to surround myself with people. I didn't care if they stole from me or what. I just had to have somebody there. And then my ex-boyfriend came in and broke into my house and 
tried to rape me. You know what I'm saying? So I was scared to be by myself. So I just surrounded myself around people. And that was something that I had to work on when I went to prison. When I went to prison, I was like, okay, I'm going to have a lot of time to myself. I need to learn how to be by myself again. I need to learn not to be afraid. I need, I need to learn that it's okay for me to be by myself. Right. So when I was in there, I, I stuck to myself a lot. You know what I'm saying? They called me books. I read a lot of books because <laughs> I like to read. So, I, man, I read a lot of books. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You. And like I, I play basketball because I'm a basketball player. Okay, okay. So like in my on my yard, on my yard, on my building, we had our own little courtyard and we had a basketball court. So I went out there and I would shoot as much as I could, you know what I'm saying, without wanting to actually run because I got on crop. So I, I shot a lot of basketball to like clear my mind and stuff. And then, you know, I talked to a lot of girls. Because yeah. apparently I'm people want to come to me and they want to tell me the life story and stuff. And I'm a good listener, so you know. We would all sit there and we would all just talk. But I mean, it really, I, I really worked. I wanted to work on working, being by myself, being alone, getting my mind back right to where it used to be. So me being alone in there and stuff, that was actually kind of good for me. Okay, good. Thanks. But I do, I did see, I did see other people that, you know, that we, you know, kind of depressed and things like that. Cause I, those are the people that I would walk up to and I'd be like, hey, how you doing? I might not ever talk to them a day before my life. But I can look at them and you can tell that they were scared or you can tell that something was going on. And sometimes somebody just wants to know that they noticed, right. especially in prison, because you know, you're not gonna get you're really not gonna get noticed. I mean, in women's prison, if you get noticed by another girl, more than likely it's because she's trying to get in your pants. You know what I'm saying? So you all you always gotta be on guard. So to actually have somebody genuinely who just saw you and just wanted to say hey and wanted to cheer you up, that means a lot in there. Yeah, I trust me. I know <laughs> that it's the same way, you know, um, in the men's prison, you know what I'm saying? The come on games and everything that they do, you know, because, uh, you know, they're not physically forcing people to uh, taking stuff from people like that. So what they're using is finesse game, you know what I'm saying? To try to finesse you out of your stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah. you got to be real careful <laughs> dealing with people inside because you're around a bunch of convicts, people that are master manipulators, master liars. And so you have to protect yourself before you end up in a situation that you don't want to be in. So I understand. I, I got to tip my hat to you. You know, you've been through a lot with those murders and everything. And, and then your ex-boyfriend doing what he was doing. And so I know it's kind of, you know, hard dealing with not having people around. And then you get people around and it's like, oh, well, I got to get back to not having people around. And it's a it's a it's a turmoil. It's a back and forth thing, a war with yourself. But you seem to came out on top and found a balance with it to where, you know, you're taking care of your kids, you're taking care of your business, you know, you're working, you're doing everything as a mom can, you know what I'm saying, to take care of her business. So, hey, I got to tip my hat to you. I'm proud of you. If you don't hear from nobody else, you know, I'm, I, you're going to hear from me because it takes a lot. But you know what? It's, it's still hard because, you know what I'm saying, I, I, I did what I did. I got my charges, you know what I'm saying, because, because of my kids. I needed the money, you know what I'm saying? The police had confiscated my car. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't do anything. So, I mean, I had to do what I had to do for my kids. Right. And at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? I still kind of validated. I mean, I probably could have went about it a different way. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? I still, I, I saved my house, you know what I'm saying? Because I was behind on my mortgage stuff. I saved my house. My twins got to go to their little field trip, you know what I'm saying? Even though it costed me a year and a half of my life, you know what I'm saying? I was still, I was able to, I was still able to do basically what I had set out to do. You know what I'm saying? Probably in the wrong way. And now with me being out, 
it, with me being out, it's even harder because I got out. I don't have a social security card or ID. So I'm waiting on my social security card now so I can't go to work. You know what I'm saying? It's been a month. I came home. My older school kids looked like they had a frat party in my house. I had to get my whole re- floor redone in my kitchen and stuff. So, like, I don't even have a kitchen right now still. I know I done spent $500 just in work. Like, <laughs> it, it's hard. And I don't. I just keep telling myself, at least I'm not where I was last month. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And every time I think about the money and stuff, I'll be like, Chrissy, do not think like that. Because, you know, if you think like that, you, it, it's going to be a lot worse. Because, like, when I got out of prison, I thought that, you know, me going to prison was the last step of, like, the three worst years of my life. I knew that once I went to prison and once I got, I came out, you know what I'm saying? Like the air was going to taste different and smell different. Like I was actually going to be free of everything, all the demons, everything that I, I fought for. And so prison was my last step. Once I did prison, I knew I was going to come out and I could be back on my. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Oh, we have some technical difficulties. y'all. I think she accidentally hung up. We're going to call her back though. Get her back on the line right now. Yeah. I think she accidentally hung up. But, man, she's been through a lot, man. And I can see, you know, a stronger woman came out of the situation than the woman that went into the situation. And so it, it's, it should be empowering to a, a lot of you out there to be able to see and recognize her situation, you know, and because a lot, a lot of females could not make it through what she had went through. And so for her to even have to go through what she went through, is it's a horrific thing. But she used the time that she had to come out of there on top of her game. And so, like I said, I tip my head to her, man, because most women would have just curled up into a ball and just, you know, just died. You know what I'm saying? Or just gave up on life after, you know, three murders. You know, that's a that's a harsh thing right there to see. And so it's like, um, wow. But then the, after all of that and then prison, like, I probably would have gave up. Like, come on, man. But God held her in there and she held strong. And so she continued to move forward, continue to, to grow from that. And like I said, man, it's a beautiful thing knowing that you can go through all that make it, and then come out on top still. So we calling her back right now. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay, the call failed again, so, man. Yeah, she says she think we got cut off, so I'm calling back one more again. I guess it's the reception in her area where she is up there in South Carolina, uh, Spartanburg. Interview, so we're not gonna stop trying. We're gonna try to get back on the phone so we can continue. Yeah, if anybody you know y'all been through what she's been through, y'all want to reach out and y'all want to give her. You know what I'm saying? A chance to continue to grow. You know what I'm saying? Just let me know, man. We're going to switch over so she can call on a different platform. And uh, we're going to get back to it in a minute, man. Y'all just hang on. All right, y'all. We back. Uh, sorry about the technical difficulties with the phone and everything. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. So 
yeah, so you said you um discharged or came out on parole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? You said no, I'm on parole. Okay. So how does a uh how is this parole affecting you out here? Cause I know with me it was uh it's it's I actually got a good parole officer and good people that I work with, so it kind of makes it a little easier for me. But I know people that actually have hard heads that they have to deal with, and so it makes it a little harder for them. Do you got a good person that you're working with, or is you got a hard head? You know what? I could not even tell you because I've never seen my parole officer. What? Okay, I have no idea. Look, okay, the day I got out, as soon as I got into my best friend's call, I immediately called the parole uh, the parole office at my in my county. I called them. I was like, you know, I just got out on parole. I was like, I just got out like 10 minutes ago. I was just calling them to let y'all know and to see what I need to do. So she looked on the secretary looks on the computer and she tells me she was going to give me my parole officer's cell phone number. So I called my parole officer on her cell phone. You know what I'm saying? She's telling me basically everything I already know. She was like, you know, you got parole, you got two years of probation, this and other. She asked me if I had a cell phone yet and I told her no. She was like, well, whenever I get a cell phone, she told me to text her, text her on so she can have my number. And then she told me that she'll be stopping by my house. She was like, she doesn't know when. She told me not to sit around and wait on her. She was like, if she comes and um, I'm not here, she said she'll just call me and make an appointment. She was like, and tell whoever you live with, you know, when they see me, not to be afraid or nothing. They're coming to take you to prison or nothing. They just got to do a visit. So I was like, okay. Okay, that was that week. Okay, then like, I've been out after that, I get a letter, I get a packet in the mail, and the packet in the mail, it tells me that my parole officer has changed, that it's now this other person. And then it gives me their cell phone number and stuff, and then it tells me that I guess they were going, they're going on vacation or something, so they were like, so from April 18th until like, I think like May 7th or something, there was like, if I need to get in contact with her, to contact this other parole officer. Okay, then uh, the next page tells me that I have been, I qualified for some type of program that basically means that as long as I do everything that I'm supposed to do, that um, I don't have to come and report for a parole. I just have to send in these papers every six months. But my thing is this, I'm not going to be on parole for six months. I was only paroled for like five months. You know, so I didn't understand that. Okay, and then the next paper I got told me that I was under some kind of administrative watch or whatever. It said that I was at the, I was at the, term, I was at the end of my term and because I was at the end of my term and because I haven't paid my money, that I was getting put on like some kind of financial advisor watch, which basically means that I'm going to be on parole until I pay all of my money. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, how is that possible? I just got out of prison. Like, I have a, how have I missed the payment when I just got out like two weeks ago? <laughs> so everybody else that I'm talking to, they're telling me like, you know, basically it's saying you pay only past, only owe $250. They was like, basically, if you pay $350, you're going to get off parole. And I'm like, you know, I don't have good luck like that. I don't have good luck like that at all. So you need to tell me that I get out of prison and I just pay $350 and I have no parole no more. I don't have to be on it for another five months. Yeah. I've called my, I've called my, I've called that parole officer seven times and I've left seven messages in the past two weeks and I have not gotten a call back. Wow. And that scares me. That scares me because yeah, first, I really don't want to call her because I don't want to bug her. I don't want to get on her list. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to be in her thoughts where, you know, she starts trying to fuck with me. So I keep calling her. But, you know what I'm saying? I 
I'm just trying to figure out what that letter meant because there's no way that I've been behind on payments. Like, I just made my first payment last week. Yeah. I, and then I it kind of scared sure. me. I know for sure on huh? my I know for sure on my end, I'm behind on parole payments. And my parole yeah. officer, he cool though. He tell me just pay anything, you know what I'm saying? Just whenever you get it, just pay it, you know, and you'll be all right. But today, I, I mean, the last week, I haven't heard from him. So I hit him up today. I'm like, hey, you know, I haven't heard from you. Everything all right? What's going on? And he still haven't texted back. That's unusual for him not to text after I text him, not to call or something. And so I got to go ask one of the neighbors because he got the same parole officer. And I'm going to see, you know, hey, have you heard from him? You know what I'm saying? Because usually he'll dip off for a minute, you know, because he got a lot of stuff going on. So. But today, you know, the thoughts, those thoughts, they creep into your head from time to time as you do your time on parole. Because it's like you're not trying to go back to jail. You're trying to do everything right. And you're trying to work with them. And you don't want to get messed over because you don't want to lose everything that you've been building. I've been out here going on a year and four, five months. Yes, you're in five months next month. And so it's like, no, a year and four months. A year and four months. And so... I built up a lot of stuff, you know, uh, I accumulated my own apartment, you know what I'm saying? I have uh, the podcast, I have all this equipment, I have everything that I need and want, and it's like, I'm not trying to lose nothing. And so, I know when he do get back to me, it's like, oh, no, I was just good, I was just busy doing this and that. I'm like, bro, you got to let me know something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can't just come up missing like that and not say nothing when you usually come through on a regular, and, you know, it's just weird. But that's just what goes on in the mind of an inmate. How does that make you feel? It makes you kind of scared, right? It makes you kind of feel like, you know what I'm saying, they're getting ready to hit you with something or something like that, right? Of course. And that's what's been going on with me all morning. And I'm like, I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to entertain those thoughts. Because I know it's the devil just trying to scare me and bring me back into that realm of fear. And I'm like, I'm not settling for that. You know, I'm going to keep pushing forward, keep doing what I'm doing. I got interviews to do. I got uh, stuff to do. My sister will be here. She's going to be co-hosting with me today later on so you know we're just getting into the new realms of things um, but you see that was another thing about the parole officers and stuff you know i think i'm guessing maybe it's because of covid because my i got two homeboys that are out here who are on parole and one of them was in jail for like five six months on some big boy testing charges before you know they dropped him and he was able to get out but the whole time they have not seen the parole officer either they said they haven't seen their parole officer in like a year yeah i see mine on a consistent like you know, he comes every now. He real cool, you know. But I think he just be bored, <laughs> really. Cause, yeah, you know, that's like your relationship, in. and that's good. Yeah, they don't that's come good, in. You know, they don't come in the building. You know, he yeah. don't come in my house or nothing. Like, he's like, how you doing? You all right? You good? And our visits really last five minutes. You know, just all right. Mm -hmm. You good? Okay, I'll see you next week. Well, I'll see you in about you know a month. I'd be like, what? I'd be like, what's up? I'd just be bored, man, just running around, just trying to get something. Because we don't go to the office. They don't allow nobody to go to the office. You know, that. And yeah. it's, it's crazy out here. That COVID, man, hey, I think that was really a blessing for us on parole. Like, <laughs> those, the us inmates, man, I, I look at it as a blessing. Because, I mean, it I makes it easier. people in prison down here yeah. in jail, too. Because I mean, in my county, they was letting people out of jail. They weren't letting nobody out of prison, but they were letting people out of jail. And they're not really locking people back up unless you really, like, catch a new charge or something. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Because if you're violating, I see I know people that violate and they go down and they do 19 days and come right back out. and You know what I'm saying? It's like... Do they violate parole? Yeah. 
See, I'm scared to death of that because I'm like, I know if I violate parole, I know I'm going to have to go sit in the county until the parole board can see me. Yeah, I'm not trying to do none of that neither. You know, I, I only got That's one friend. Yeah, I only got one brother that I know from San Antonio that actually they revoked him because he has so much time left, like five years or more left on parole. Like, <laughs> I get off next July, so, I mean, I'm not doing no tripping, but I'm not trying to go back to jail for nothing. Period. You know, what I'm you and me both. Yeah, because it took you and me both. So I know the way that I'm built. Right. You know, I, I, I'm a very strong believer. Like I, I got boys and I got girls. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I teach my boys. I teach my girls. You know what I'm saying? When you're getting ready to do something, you got to think about the outcome. You got to think about you know this might happen. You might not get caught. You might get caught. But if you do get caught, this is what's going to happen. So you better make sure that you're ready to deal with those consequences of what's going to happen if you get caught. Right. If you don't feel like you can deal with those consequences, then you don't need to do it. Because at the end of the day, I don't raise no snitches. You're going to do, you know what I'm saying? You're going to have to man up and you're going to have to do what you're going to have to do. So I'm a very strong believer in that. That's why, you know, with this new thing coming on, like, I knew it was coming because when Fred took me out, they were like, you know, if I help them, help me help them, you know, that it would be better for me. And they told me if I did not tell them what they wanted to know, they were going to hit me with a security card. But when I told my lawyer about it, and when I went to court in December, my lawyer told me not to worry about it. You're good. You know what I'm saying? Just do what you got to do and stay out of trouble. So I'm like, okay, cool. That was December. Man, July comes, and I call my friend from prison. I'm like, what's going on? And then he tells me I'm all over the news. And I'm all over the news for that conspiracy charge that they told me about. Wow. Yeah. But I have not been searching papers. Like, I've been reading so much on federal indictments and RICO acts and stuff that... Man, that my, my friend came and took my laptop last week. She was like, you can't keep doing this. Yeah. Because I just don't want to be surprised. I'm so tired of the police busting up in here, taking me, surprising me with shit that I didn't even know I had. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so tired and I'm so, so basically scared of that shit that I just want to be prepared. Right. I mean, I think And I want to understand why right I haven't been served my indictment. Yeah. It's been almost over a year. Why have they not served me with it? And I think that's what it is, the fear of not being prepared for something. And that's what I was hearing my boy yeah. Eric Thomas, you know, E.T., the hip-hop preacher, said the other day. He said, it's not that, you know, you're scared to achieve stuff or scared to move forward or scared to go on with your life. It's the fear of not being prepared for when something's about to happen, you know. And so exactly. I was like, man, that makes sense. So I, I stay in preparation, even though, you know, you're not doing nothing. Anything can happen out here, you know what I'm saying? Like, basically anything. You know, and the police are crooked. I'm sorry, but they are crooked. They will sit. Man, I remember one time when they came and got me. I get out of jail. I come home and I look at my my um my prisoner paper, and they don't have my money on there. But they took my money. But my money is not on the paper, and there's not really much I could do about it. What I'm going to do? I'm going to go against the you know what I'm saying the head narcotics agent. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to lose. They're going to believe them every time. Yep. Is that the truth? Because I don't have no proof. Is that the truth? So when you, you know, so I mean, that's another bad thing because you really do got some bad cops out here, man. Yeah. And there's nothing that we can do about it because you know what I'm saying. It's like they're like a brotherhood; they stick together. So if you do try to go after them and stuff, man, you're gonna have a hard time. You're gonna have harassment. You're gonna have them watching you, trying to set you up, all that. Yeah, I know down here, you know, uh, they have on the well, back of their they have on the back of their hats inside of our prison. We take care of ours. And so I already knew what that meant. So I was like, anything, anytime I do something, I know I'm wrong, whether I did it or not. I know that's right. 
Take it to DHL if you want to. Yeah, we take care of ours. I was like, really? I was like, okay. Well, I know if I do something, I better go hard because I'm going. I'm going down anyway. And so that was my. Yeah. Like I was foolish, and that's what got me my three year set off. You know, I had a uh, two uh, two accounts of uh, threatening an officer with attempt to assault, and I'm like, either I, either I assaulted them or I didn't. Y'all can't hit me with an attempt to assault. Either I assaulted them or I didn't. Which one? Which one is it? But that's what they went down as, you know, two threatened officers would attempt to assault. And one of them was on a female while I was on K2. And then the other one was in the kitchen. Uh, the boss man tried to lie on me. I was stealing. I was stealing. I was selling uh, chicken patties. And I never got caught. But I started hustling with somebody else. And he got caught. And that ensued me getting caught. And so in the process, he tried to blackmail me by stuffing them in a bag. And I never used a bag for anything. You know what I'm saying? And so that's how he got me. There was actually officers that were there that agreed with me. I remember I was talking to one of them one day and they was like, you know, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way that they treat you. I don't like the way some of these officers treat you. You know what I'm saying? They was like, but you know, they, they're like, they can't do nothing because it's like they stick to their own. Right. Because there's actually some good CO officers. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, you know what I'm saying? They can't do nothing. I don't think that's right. I think something needs to be done about that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just because we're in prison does not mean that we're all bad. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, like, I got it on my Facebook page. Sometimes good people make bad decisions. True. And these are the circumstances of our decisions. But these are the circumstances that we're dealing with. You know what I'm saying? doesn't mean because we're dealing with these circumstances, you get to come in here and treat us like shit or talk to us in your kind of way or not have no respect when we were respecting you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like a power trip that they have. And, you know, that, that shit is not right. It's not right for anybody to be treated like that. I don't care what you've done. Hey, I'm with you on that. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to all the green COs, man. You know what I'm saying? We call them green in prison. That just means that they're mm -hmm. friendlies. You know what I'm saying? These are people that you can actually have conversations with. You know, if you need to get in the house, uh, they'll be able to let you in the house to use the restroom. They actually care about your well-being. They're not, they not just there to mess you over. They actually do their job and do it a, a little better than the other ones, but then the red COs. The red COs are the dickheads. Them the ones that are giving us all the problems. They the ones actually doing all the dirt and then trying to enforce the law. And so it's it's crazy. You know, I don't know how it is up there, but I know down here that's how it is. Like, they the ones bringing the drugs and the cell phones in and then turn around. You better not do, you know, I'll be like, hold on, bro. Like, you can't. And you know what? That's that's a mind control thing. Cause think about it. They're the ones bringing the cell phones and the drugs in there. You know what I'm saying? Why? It's like why do they? They want It's like they want to keep us down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Instead of helping, they want to keep you down. So in order to keep you down and to control you, the first thing they're gonna do is bring the drugs. You know what I'm saying? You get a you're cell right. phone. You know what I'm saying? You know you're you're lucky. But the drugs, anybody can anybody can them here because you know what I'm saying? That's like a control that they have. You know what I'm saying? Dangle the drugs and get you hooked on the drugs and dangle in front of you. You know what I'm saying? You'll do anything. You'll let them treat you anyway because you know you won't need the drugs. And that is messed up because that is not what it's supposed to be there. You know what I'm saying? It's supposed to be rehabilitation. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to be, you know, trying to help somebody. You know what I'm saying? That's just humanity. You know, but you just have people with different parents, right? And that's a lot of them. You can tell that a lot of them were bullied in school. Yeah. Really, uh, I, I, try, I truthfully believe that right there because 
you can really look at a lot of those that are coming in and you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is one of them. This guy's going to be a hole because I yeah. can tell that he looks friendly and he just, yeah. And then he feel like he's you know, like, trying to really act super be crazy hard. Down here. Black people are winning in prison. In the prison that I was at, when I tell you black girls are winning, black girls are the ones that the CEOs even button fly by with things and do certain things and stuff. I remember I had white, I had white inmates come to me and I was like, yo, go ask the CEO this. Like, go ask the CEO that. And I'm like, you know what? You can't ask this. Like, man, you know why. Wait the right color. Yeah. And I was just like, that is crazy. Because once I walk out these doors and stuff, I'm back to number, enemy number one. Yeah. And that's a bad thing, too. Because guess what? That's also to racism. You know what I'm saying? How are we supposed to make the world better? How are we supposed to make the world better? How are we supposed to teach our kids and teach everybody that everybody is equal and everybody is one? When even when you go into a controlled environment like prison, they still have it in there, even if it is the black people. And that's what I was going to ask you next. You know, have you ever experienced racism and anything behind those walls? And you just brought it up right now because, you know, I have never experienced racism. When I was out here in the world, I never experienced it ever, you know, and then, really? Living in Texas? Yeah, for real. Like, never until I got locked up and they put me in whole squad. When they put me in whole wow. squad, I don't know if y'all got whole squad up there? I, I don't even know what that is. Okay. It's just like, you ever seen those old um, Negro movies where they got them in the fields with the Aggies? You said be in the fields? You mean like the slaves? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is down here. It's called whole squad. That was the first time when I first got locked up in the prison and they uh, they sent me to uh, Midland, Texas, up upstate. And then the dude called me a boy. He said, where you from, boy? And I said, mm. I said, hold, hold on, man. Boy, who you, I'm a grown man, bro. What's wrong with you? He was like, boy, I know where you right. from? And then they gave me this, this hoe. They gave me this Aggie. And I'm like, what is this? I said, oh, man, this slavery. I said, I can't believe this. And I did that for years, you know, because it's like if you don't conform to the prison life that they got made out for you, they're going to make it hard for you down here. They're going to make it real hard. And, you you know, people were falling out in the fields and and sitting down, and they would take the cases that came with it. That would, that would restrict all your privileges. No commissary, no telephone. They would come confiscate your property. They would remove everything. The only thing you'll be left with was a Bible, some paper, some envelopes to write your family, stuff like that. But everything else would be taken away from you because you didn't want to conform to what they what they had for you to do. And so it was crazy. But that was my first time actually experiencing raw racism up front. And then I had a, a little dude that I used to kick it with. You know, uh, we was walking him from I guess we were coming from church or something. And he saw this black lady. He, I think he's a Mexican. And he saw it. He was just joking around, but at the same time, I don't know why it struck me so hard. But I told him I was gonna whoop him because he said, "Look at that black monkey over there." I said, "Bro, what How much I said, "What did you just say, bro?" He said, "That lady look like a monkey." I said, "Oh no, oh man." I said, "Oh no." As soon as we get back in here, put your shoes on, home boy. We finna get that for real. So he was like, "Are you serious?" Because we've been rocking with each other for a long time. This is my boy. But I've never heard him say nothing like this. And it just hit me so hard in my heart. I was messed up that I wanted to fight him. So I'm like, yeah, man, have your stuff ready. We finna get it in, bro. You tripping. So he get in there. He like, bro, you, you this me. 
Like you tripping. I'm like, nah, you tripping. You call that lady a monkey, bro. I'm talking about she look like a baboon and all this, bro. You tripping. Yeah. So he like, man, I think I know why you messed up because you never heard me say nothing like that. Like I overstepped my boundaries. And we came to an agreement. I'm like, yeah, bro, don't ever let me hear you say nothing like that ever again. I don't know why it struck me when you said it. But it never, I probably, never. I mean, probably because you know what I'm saying? He was your friend. Like you thought he was, be- you thought he was better than that. Yeah, that might have been it. You know, it's, yeah. That was, it was deep. That was some hard stuff for me right there. And, you know, because you got, we popularize certain characteristics, certain things like nigger. When we say nigger, hey, what's up, my nigger? You know, so now Mexicans say it, white boys say it. And it's and yeah. some people get messed up when they hear other races say it, and some people ride with it. And so that's why I was like, I don't, I mean, I ain't got no issue with none of that because I know it ain't used in a racial way. But the way he said it, it just it came off with oh, I don't know what it was, but I was messed up about it. But you know, it was weird. But did I could did they really look like a monkey? Oh, the lady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no because you know you, no you might have took it as a racial way just because it came out of his mouth, uh, you know, it came out of your friend's mouth, but you know, she might have actually looked like a monkey. Yeah, she and she uh she was dark. You know, uh she had she wasn't the prettiest of people. I'm just gonna say it like that, but no comment on mm-hmm. <laughs> no comment on that right there. But let me ask you Because this. you gotta see you gotta kinda see where he was coming from too when he said it. He probably didn't even mean it as a racial way. It was just what came into what he saw. He saw her. She looked like a monkey. Right. But you know, I do understand where you're coming nigga. from. Because like my children, they're not allowed to say nigga. Nigga is a is a cuss word in our house. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like when they get 18, you know what I'm saying? You can do whatever you want to. And that really kind of works because now with my son and my daughter, my two oldest are 22 and 20. And they don't really use that word. You know what I'm saying? I guess because they went through their whole life, you know, thinking of it as a cuss word. Because that's what my mom used to tell us. Because, you know what I'm saying, it is, I guess it is kind of derogatory. And, like, even though we say it as greeting each other, because we say it as greeting each other, other people are going to think that it's okay to say it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And just it coming out of a, another race, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel like some type of way. Just because it's coming from another race. And we we, we all know our the story of our ancestors. We all know how hurtful that word used to be. Right. But it never bothered me, you know, because... Like I say, where I was raised and grew up, it's like it, we popularized the word, you know, and so it's like yep. it's, our, it's the whole, our generation did. It's like it's nothing because I know you ain't meaning it racially, but like I said, it was just I don't know what I was tripping on that day, but when he said that, <laughs> he said that man, I just I sprang into action and he was talking to somebody else and I was like two people behind him, but he said it so loud I heard it. It just triggered something in my heart and I was like, bro, what did you just say? He was like, what, what are you talking I about? See, it did. It was suppressed because, you, you, I mean, you say that you're okay with it because, you know what I'm saying, we've popularized it, but still somewhere in your subconscious, you know what I'm saying, you still don't feel like it's right. It's like, I hang around a lot of white people and they use that word. Right. And, you know, when they use this stuff, I just try not to pay it no attention and stuff. But, I mean, inside, deep inside, you know what I'm saying, I do kind of feel some type of way. Like, you know, I mean, I didn't call this other white boy a nigga. Like, he ain't no fucking nigga. He ain't no no nigga life, no nigga story. He don't know the history. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how how I be feeling. You know what I'm saying? But then there's really nothing I can do about it now because, like you said, our generation, we popularized the word. We made it okay. You know what I'm saying? When we shouldn't have made it okay because that word, that word comes with meaning. That word comes with a story. You know what I'm saying? That word comes from millions of marches and millions of people dying 
to not be called that word, to not be characterized by that word, and we decide to make it make it okay, like you know, that's that's like t- trying to take a piece of our history. So that's why I teach my kids not to say the word. So give me a give me a. Um, have you ever had? Have you ever been in a riot? No. Oh, y'all, didn't, you, didn't, you never had to experience a riot down there. Uh-uh. Okay, that's I'm good. Like, women's prisons down here is totally different than the men. You know what I'm saying? Because I guess, you know, women, I, I don't know if it's because we're more disciplined or whatever, but like, yeah, not not really. I know down here they say the women's prison is worse than the men's prison. Cause my, sister, wow. my sister, she had did uh, eight years. My mom did 16 years. So incarceration runs in my family, and we're trying to break the uh, stigma right now. That's a, that's one reason why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, is to show patterns and show you know people can step up and break that pattern, break that spiritual stronghold right there, and say you know what we're not doing this in this generation or the next. We're gonna do something better, something greater, and we're gonna step up because most of my family um has been incarcerated. My nephew mm-hmm. doing ten years right now. You know, I got out. I did. I did twelve on a fifteen. My mom did sixteen years. My sister did eight years, and uh, I think my cousin is still locked up. He's doing some time right now. So incarceration runs in our bloodline, but we're not trying to keep that going. We're trying to break it. And so when I do the so how, podcast, how are you going to break that? Because you know, in order for you to break that cycle, you got to start with the kids because the kids are the ones that are coming up now. Right. So, how, like, how do you how do you plan to try to steer them away from that? So right now, like, since I've been out, I had already planned a lot of stuff when I was in prison, and one of my main things was to stick to doing what I said I was going to do. And so now, this podcast is one of those things that I said I was going to do: get out and start what the streets been waiting for radio. And that's what I've been doing since I've been out here. And I got two books that I'm writing. I one of them about autobiography, and one of them is a kid's book. You know, taking back control of your life and becoming an entrepreneur uh, and a teen uh, and, and controlling your destiny. You know, for kids. And it's like giving them what I didn't get, and basically keeping it simple to where they understand it. Because a lot of stuff out here, like I be on YouTube trying to learn and. I got to dig through all this BS. People just talking about stuff they don't even know what they're talking about. They just reading a script just to get views yeah. or just to make money. And so I don't want to do that with Yeah, you can kids. tell they're not feeling it. Right. So I'm just, I want to give it to them straight, lace, no chase, and tell it straight up. They be like, I got you, got you. I see what you're coming from. And not try to force anything on them, you know, because kids these days, they, they growing up on TV, on music. And that's all they really have. And so it's like, well, you know. Hey, you say don't force nothing on them. But, you you know, you're gonna, to be able to touch somebody and to be able to reach these kids, because today's kids are totally different. They got the Internet. They got Google. They got YouTube. You know what I'm saying? So they could find it. They could find things out if they wanted to. So you kind of do have to push it up on them. You know what I'm saying? You just got to find a way to push it up on them that they'll, that'll okay. keep their interest. Hold on, hold on. So that's what I'm trying to do with mine. Okay, hold on. 